Listen, I don't know um, if you know me, but one of the things I like to establish right off the bat is I love feedback. I love feedback. I love feedback. So um, just a, a, a show of feedback, maybe a, a lifting of a hand just in participation. Anybody like movies? A good movie. Anybody like some movies? More so here, a little crowd here. Okay, not so much over there. No offense, but I'm going to be hanging out over here. Movies are really, really, thanks Josh. Movies are really, really good. And I don't know, I don't, I don't think, this is my theory, I'm not sure why, but I think it's because the middle of movies, whether you watch them, whether you're at the theater, whether you're at home, whether you're opening them up in a book, in the middle of those movies, it has a story. And stories are powerful. Stories do what facts and data never could. You know, stories fill up the heart where data and facts just fill up the mind. I think the stories really stir your imagination, and I think uh, facts only really stir up more boredom. <laughs> That's just me, but I'm just thinking like when you think about stories, you really get excited because you see, you experience, and it, it just awakens every single sense that you have. And there's no doubt about it, the greatest story of all time is the story of Jesus, that God would love his people so much. Even in the middle of our wreck, middle of our sin, in the middle of our evil, in the middle of our wickedness, in the middle of our greed, we would still be that loved by God that he would send his son down to say, you're that worthy. I'm going to pursue you that hard. I'm going to come after you that much. I love you this much. And whenever you open up the Bible, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. In the New Testament, right when you break it open, there's four Gospels, as we call them, four stories, four good news proclamations. And you start with uh, Matthew, and then you get to Mark, and then Luke, and then John. There's four guys that actually write about the story of Jesus. Now, what I want to do is I want to tell you about the story of Jesus through the lens and the perspective and the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, you can travel over there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16. If not, no big deal. It's going to be up on the screen. So I just want you to follow along. And in, in, uh, my, my thought for this particular Mark 16 is really this. The reason why I want to share this with you is because the book of Mark is much like a movie. All the other gospels are amazing. So is this one. But this one tells the story of Jesus almost like a movie forum. And like any other good movie, it starts with an action scene. Come on, somebody. All the guys with me so far. Any good movie of note, I can name, oh, I can name a lot of them. Uh, let me just start with two, Gladiator and Braveheart. Yeah, done. You know what I'm saying? They start with action scene. They keep you gripped and it's just amazing the whole way through. And when you get to this particular story of the book of Mark, you, you get to that point where you just realize, man, this is like a movie. The very first opening scene, Jesus gets baptized. Heaven rips open. When's the last time you saw that? Heaven rips open. The clouds part. God's booming, earth-shattering, cedar-destroying voice comes out and says, This is my son. And after that, you're thinking, man, over 300 prophetic declarations of the Old Testament are now fulfilled in this man right here. He's not just a mere human. He's not just a carpenter. He is not just a man. He is the son of God. And as you continue to read, he walks on water. He calms storms. He allows blind eyes to see. He awakens souls. He gives people new hearts. He has compassion on people to restore their past and give them hope for a future. Jesus is wrecking all of our standards and our rules 
and he's destroying them with this massive amount of love. He's crossing barriers. He's moving out of his reputation and he's becoming the greatest story that we've ever heard only to awaken one question that the disciples had and one question that you need to ask for the rest of your life. Who is Jesus? Is he a man? If he's a man, don't do much with him. If he's a teacher, take out from his teachings what you will and leave the rest. But if he's more than a teacher, if he's more than a man, if he's more than a carpenter, then that changes everything. And, and so here we have a story of seemingly just a guy who goes through 16 quick chapters of Mark, riveting, pulling you in, connecting to every single character of the Bible. And then he gets to chapter 16. He, Jesus is pulled. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's murdered up on the cross, voluntarily dying for us. He gets put in a grave. Three days of silence. And then chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Solomon, brought spices. The three of them came so that they would anoint Jesus. Very early in the first day of the week, the sun had risen. They went to the tomb and they were saying to one another along the way, hey, who's going to roll back the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the stone that had already been rolled back. Mark just wants to let you know it was large. And entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robe. They were alarmed. And the guy said, this wasn't just a guy, this was an angel. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was crucified. But come on, church. He has risen. You gotta love that. He's not here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? See the place where he rests his head? Now go tell Peter and the disciples that he's gonna go before you and meet you in Galilee. So the three of them saw that what was happening. They went out, fled the tomb, trembled with astonishment, seized them. They told no, no one, for they were afraid. That's it. Chapter 16. Last chapter, last part of the story. Most Bibles conclude Mark chapter 16 right there. Wait, wait why, why would you have such a riveting story? Why would you be moved to connect with Jesus and his disciples being seen what heaven would really look like if it came down in the reality of you and me? Why would we get pulled into such an amazing story only to stop so quickly? Why would God write this particular portrait through Mark only to erupt the story to say, let's end it right there. Let's end it right there. All good stories, all good stories have to have a conclusion. I mean, you can't walk away from a movie feeling really good about the movie if it doesn't have a good ending. Come on, somebody, you with me? I mean, if they have a good ending, then it changes everything. But when you look through this particular story, Mark 16, all of a sudden, most Bibles say we're going to stop the writings right there. When Mark 16 stops right at that particular moment, you're left and thinking, God, why didn't you finish the rest of the book? And I believe God wants to look at you and say, because I want to finish the rest of the story through you. You are the declaration. You are my evidence that the resurrection happened 
Jesus wants to let you know that you are the very one that I want to go out into the streets, into the places, into your work, into your family to declare the resurrection of God. You want to see the power of God? It's not necessarily bound up in a story, in a book. It's bound up in your heart. Now let it go. Every single story brings us in, but we never want that story to end. So what do we do? We, we keep living the rest of the story out. Oh, please don't let chapter 16 be the end, God says. It's not. You're chapter 17. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, and I want you to keep the story alive. How do we know? What's the evidence that the resurrection actually happened? It's your life. Paul says to Timothy, much like he would say to you and I today, There will be in the last days forms of godliness, lovers of money, lovers of self. But at the same time, there will be a form of godliness, but it lacks power. You want to know one of the things that we have access to, full-blown access to, is God's power. Not by our works, but by his work. Our marriage can be restored by the grace of God. Our life can make a difference by the grace of God. We can raise our kids by the grace of God. I can be released of my past by the grace of God. Come on, somebody catching this? God wants to let you in on a secret that he loves you so much that he doesn't want that to be a secret anymore. It's a mystery that you go way too many other places to go seek out and hold and try to get and obtain the love of other people when you already have the affection of one that means everything. You know, our family, every single week, we try to have a day of rest. Our family goes really, really hard for six days a week, and so we rest hard for our seventh day. We say no to a whole lot of things during our six days so that we can say yes to things during our seventh day. Our day of rest is really the focus and the goal of our day of rest is really twofold. One is so that we can enjoy God. Two is so that we can enjoy each other. So a lot of things that we normally wouldn't do, you know, during the week and during those particular times, we, we allow it to happen. And we just say, hey, absolutely. Let's say yes to those on Saturdays. One of the ones that we usually do every single day of rest, every single Saturday, is have a family movie night. Anybody love family movie nights? You have family, just bring the kids in. You have a little family movie night. Even as a married couple, you just kind of like say, hey, we've had a long week, maybe a long month, a long season. Let's just put on something so you don't have to think, you know, and just sit back and eat a ton. Come on, somebody. And just watch a good movie. Because at some point in time, you want to feel good, but you don't really know how to get you there. So if you put on a good movie, that'll hopefully make you feel good. How do you want to erupt love with you and your spouse? Well, it's not by accident. Just watch a good romantic comedy. Guys, this will score you some points with your spouse. But at the same time, when you watch that movie, you're thinking, wow, is that what love's supposed to be like? Not really, because it's Hollywood, you know, so, but, but, but then you get a picture, hey, maybe I should put my wife or my spouse up there with something to seek, pursue, love on, and serve. So every single Saturday, usually Saturday, as we have a, a day of rest, and, and the conclusion is a family movie day. Recently, our family has been given into uh, this amazing trilogy uh, that I want to let you guys in on. Uh, this trilogy will just, it'll leave you breathless. It's, um... I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's a Kung Fu Panda. You ever, where'd you think I was going with that? Go on. I said it was the greatest trilogy of all time. It is amazing. 
Our family loves it. We watch Kung Fu Panda, and uh, uh, my kids are like picking, you know, which character they're going to be. I'm going to be Tigress, and my son's, he's three. He loves anybody who's winning, you know. He's like, I'm going to be that guy. I'm like, why? He's like, yeah, he won the battle. I'm like, great. You know? so, so we're like, we're, we're watching this movie, relaxing, sitting on the couch and everything. And then all of a sudden, it never fails. After every single time we watch this movie, the credits start scrolling. And you want to know what we do right after that moment? <laughs> like any other good American family, we get up and we fight each other. You just watched a kung fu movie. How can you not practice kung fu on each other? You know what I'm saying? Like that riveted you. Like that got you out of your seat. So what are we doing? We're taking a couch and trying to split it in half. and We're putting whooshy finger holds on it. Skadoosh. You know what I'm saying? Like just going around destroying the living room. We're taking pillows and, and using them as like ninja stars. Come on, somebody. You know, just, just going out there and just whooping everybody. This kung fu master in the Peterson household right after we watched that movie. And, and then it hit me. Then it hit me. I think that was the intention that Mark had when he wrote his stories. God says, I want to write 16 chapters so that you would be inundated and awaken something within you so that when you put the book down, you would live out the rest of the story. Nobody wants that movie to end. Nobody in our family wants Kung Fu Panda to end. So what do we do? We keep Kung Fu Panda alive in our house. We keep battling each other. That's exactly what God wants us to do so that we go out through our lives every single day and we get a glimpse of God's great love for us through his book, through his story, through the captivating words and the life of Jesus. God really loves you this much so that when we shut the book, and there's a time to do that, church, we shut the book and then we go out and live the life. There is a God who loves me so much that he came down for me. He left his throne. I wasn't the standard. Jesus was the standard. I wasn't the one he was going after, but he loved me that much. I didn't think I was worthy to be loved, but oh, how I was wrong. I didn't know that I could receive this love, but I could, I can, and I will because God's great love for you. You know, when you read through this, we, we have to recognize that as we read through the Bible, it's, it's just this amazing portrait, not of our great love for God, but by God's great love for us. Come on, somebody. When we read through the word, it's not our standard of living that needs to increase. It's the fact and a story about how God lowered his standard to become who you and I are so that he can just say this is the language of love. It's sacrifice. It's serving. It's getting right here, giving you hope, breathing you life yet again, saying there will be better days to come. There will be things that you can hold on to. There is hope. Don't you give up. You're going to be more than conquerors. If I am for you, God says, who is going to be against you? So that there will be a banner over your life. It is finished. What, what would it look like, church, if we actually believed God at his word that we are forgiven? What would it look like if we were really separated from sin and we came face to face with a God who loved us? We would stop pursuing love in all the wrong places. We would stop going after pleasure when nobody else is looking. We would stop dipping ourselves and saturating ourselves in environments and start saturating ourselves with a story about God's love, that you are worthy, you are valued, you are right. 
You are honored. You are so, so amazing in God's eyes that he would do this for you. But some of the parts that we read through, we have a society, we have a church, we have a family that has a hard time getting into God's word. And we have a hard time opening up this book. We have a hard time reading through it. And the, the worst part of not getting into his word is not seeing his great supply, not recognizing God's great abundance. See, I think we're a society that will tell you, other people will let you know, you'll tell yourself that you are worthy, that you're good, and you're deserving of all good things. So you'll go out and get it. And you'll do whatever you feel like you want to do because, well, you run your life. But if you open up the Bible, other things will start to consume you. It's the demand of holiness. It's just reading through the Ten Commandments. Don't murder. You already failed that one. Honor your parents. You didn't do that one very well. Uh, Make sure that you don't steal. Oh, that happened at birth. Don't partake in sin. Oh, I just did that a couple seconds ago. All of a sudden, you read through the book, and there's demand on demand on demand, law upon rule upon commandment. How about the greatest commandment? Love God with all of your heart, with all of your You're done. We don't partially love God, let alone partially love our neighbor, or even the ones that we like. So what do, what do we do when the standard of God's word goes from here to here, here to here, you keep reading and you go from here to here to here and it just keeps raising and you realize there's just no way I can live the life that you want me to. God says, if you'll see the demand, I want to show you my supply. If you'll see my law and my standard, I want to show you my abundance. If you, if you see my work, I want to show you everything that I've already done. That standard only gets raised so you can, you can see with your own eyes. You can experience the love that God has for you. See, the standard of God keeps getting higher and higher and deeper and deeper and costs you more and more just so that God's grace will be abundant in your life. This is an amazing supply of God's goodness and abundance. Healing is happening. Miracles are occurring, not because of your works, but because of Jesus' works. So that we can actually say, God, there's no way I can measure up. I want to be a good spouse. I want to be a good parent. I want to be a good person. I want to be kind. I want to succeed. God says, I've got the answers for all of that. And here it is. It's, ca- it's contradictory. It's completely different from anything else that you've ever heard. I want you to rest. Stop striving. Rest in my work because you don't have to work any longer. Healing can take place. Grace will be given. Peace is distributed. Grace is available. Love is found. Happiness is there. Joy, joy, joy is being restored. The past where you have think just sin has run freely through your life, God says, I don't want you to work hard. I want you to see how hard I've worked. I want you to rest in my work and stop your work. There is no pain too big nor height too far 
nor wound too deep for the love of God. God's love will never be separated. If you just acknowledge how great, how big, how wide, how long the love of God is. And we get a glimpse to acknowledge that. Inside of his word, the book of Mark then becomes a movie that rivets us, that moves us, that changes us into a place to say this is a demonstration of not what we have done for God, but what God has done for us. I haven't reached his heights. He has come down to mine. I haven't raised the standard. He has lowered his I didn't choose God, he chose me. I didn't pursue God, God pursued me. I didn't go after him fervently, he came after you fervently. I didn't have any hope, but he gave me hope. I didn't have anything to offer, but he gave me everything he had. Because God is madly in love with his creation. And he wants you to get a glimpse of his goodness so that one day you can read his story, listen to it, experience it, close the book, and receive the love of God that wrecks your life. And you can walk out and give what you first received. Unconditional. No strings attached. Life-altering love that changes everything. Ephesians 2 says, it's through grace that you have been saved. Not by your works, not by your effort, not by your goodness, not by your thoughts, not by your past, not by your hopes of the future, not the way that you treat your spouse, not the way you treat your friends, not on your good days, not on your bad days. It's through faith and God's grace, God's supply, God's abundance, God's blessing, God's promises, Jesus' work. That's grace. That faith, that is what saves you today and forevermore, so that you and I can't boast, but we can boast in the work of God. In Jesus' name.